correctly with the correct amount. D20 Radio, where gamers roll. radiocom Welcome to Me and Steve Talk RPGs, a podcast where me and my friend Steve try and help you get the most out of your role-playing game experience. Hey folks, welcome back to Me and Steve. I'm here with my buddy Steve tonight. Hey Steve. Hello, how are you today? Oh, I'm alright. So, as we start off every show, let's shout out another podcast on the D20 Network. And Who are we going to do that with this week, Steve? I was thinking The Forge... You know, we've had GM Huli on a bunch, and we've talked about the Forge. Why don't you mm-hmm. go ahead and give us the two-minute pitch for them? Well, the two-minute pitch for the Forge, and I don't know if I'm going to make it a full two minutes, but the Forge is the place to go for, well, Genesis creation info. It's all about making things for the Genesis RPG system. GM Huli, as Steve mentioned, and GM Chris go through all kinds of things. They talk with assorted people, be it from Fantasy Flight Now Edge or people that write stuff that ends up on the Genesis Foundry, on drive through all that cool stuff. So it's, it's a really, really good show. And to be completely honest, also has a lot of good stuff just for general RPG or RPG writing. If you uh, dig a little bit, it had some really cool... They did a, a show a while back that was all about uh, layout and stuff and and some things to keep in mind in that if you're writing. And I thought it was really cool. It obviously isn't single system only. So, uh, yeah, that's The Forge. Yeah, and I'll just say one quick thing about The Forge. GM Chris and GM Hooli can both get long-winded at times. So full Forge episodes are, what, like three hours plus? Two to three, typically. Right. So they've actually been dropping these Fuel for the Foundry episodes that are typically shorter than that. Somewhere between like half an hour to up to an hour. and I'm really digging those because it's nice to get that little update. So just wanted yeah. to shout that out real quick. So with, with that being said, Steve, do you like space games? I do like space games. And sci-fi games? I do like sci-fi games. Okay. How about if we had a space sci-fi game that also has some heavy military influence? I'd say, I'd say I'm in. What do we got? Well, about a week ago, I got a, a message on our Twitter from some people who are making such a game, or maybe I should say reviving it. It's a game called Battle Lords of the 23rd Century, and I actually vaguely remember this. I knew someone my freshman year in college, way back in the 90s, that had a copy of this game, and I never got to play it. But tonight, we have two of the people from the team who have taken over this property and have recently released a new edition. They have something... I believe also on Kickstarter and are also working on a release for it in a very popular newer system. So uh, with that, we're joined this week by, I believe it's Dave and Tony from the Battle Lords team. Hi, thanks for having us on. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time to join us. Not a problem. Glad, glad to be here. So aside from military sci-fi in space, what is Battle Lords? Dave, you want to take this one? Sure. So... The core, I'll talk mechanics for a second, just because people kind of want to know what you're rolling. So it's a percentile-based system. Low is, is the goal um, for almost everything, except for damage and hit points. You, you want you want a lot of hit points, and when you're hitting something, you want to do a lot of damage. 
but uh, in general, the goal is just to have a stat. Um, you roll under stats, you roll under your skills, and uh, very much a skill-based kind of a system versus more of an archetype like uh, old school D&D. You have a fighter and they just do fighter stuff and that's it. Um, this is a more of a point by kind of a, you build your character the direction you want it to go. And the gameplay allows for a lot of different types of uh, opportunities. So it originally started as a military sci-fi game. And over time, we realized we could run a lot of different things. So if you ever thought of doing more of a top secret kind of a game, but in space with really cool kit, you get all kinds of really cool, you know, futuristic stuff that you can pull out to do some really cool jobs. Uh, you want to be a pirate. You want to be running around out on the frontier. You can do all of those things. You want to do an action thriller kind of a thing where you're chasing somebody through the streets of a bombed out city that's falling apart around you as you're trying to evacuate a bunch of civilians. We can do that. Lots of different ways of leveraging the rules to play within a very dark, gritty kind of a future. There's a lot of people that uh, are in charge of major mega corporations, and there's a lot more people who have nothing or basically going wherever they're told because the mega corps run everything. So for everyone that's at the top, there's probably thousands or possibly tens of thousands that are just kind of a nameless drone from Sector 7G. Okay. So the only thing I remember from from the friend that had it again this was my freshman year in college like 30 years ago now was uh, uh the one species called a ram python and uh but now it sounds like it's kind of oh riffs meets 40k yeah i've i've heard it described as uh sort of fifth element meets aliens <laughs> so yeah you're not you're not far off <laughs> it's, yeah you know you can have a starship trooper kind of a feel you can have a fifth element kind of a feel Part of that's really about the game group and, and kind of what they enjoy, right? I and mean, it doesn't, it's not so sad. I, and part of it, I guess, where it is, is you've got so many flexible options that it's, it's real, part of the th advice that I give to new beginners in the space is just pick a movie or a, a feel that you're going for and then frame everything around that because there's a lot of options with character build out and you can go in a lot of different directions. You can either play two type or you don't have to play two type. You know, not everybody is what they look like. Um, Ram pythons, uh, you've mentioned before, they're, you know, 10-foot tall brick walls. They're stereotyped as being down on a box of rocks, which on average, they are not the smartest in the room, but that doesn't mean you can't play a very smart engineer Ram Python and have everyone really worried about whether or not you can keep the engine going on this ship. <laughs> Regardless of what, I guess, which sandbox you decide to play in in the Battle Wars universe, the general setting is that you've got these... I think we're up to 14 different species now who are in essentially this mutual protection pact. They were they formed an alliance against external threats, and the alliance is being invaded by the arachnids, or Aknarin, who are essentially a horde of techno-organic monstrosities. And then on the other end of the spectrum, they're also dealing with infiltration by a group called the Atlanteans, who are essentially a nanoswarm. And uh, they're they're dealing with both of those problems, and all these species have come together to form this alliance. And one of the, uh, the, the they've mentioned a couple of the themes already, which is one: the mega corporations run everything within the alliance, including the puppeteering the government from behind the scenes. And one of the other themes is that all of the species in the alliance don't necessarily like each other. In fact, some of them have been at war with each other in the past, and so you have to overcome that that hostility between your allies in order to get the mission done. 
Uh, and then as, uh, as Dave mentioned, the other part is, is do you want to play to the stereotype of your species or do you want to play against the stereotype of your species? Uh, we don't really force anybody to do either. But a lot of those themes came from the original writer, Larry Sims, who wrote it, and he based the game off of his experiences when he was in the U.S. Army. So there's a lot of, uh, you know, grunt in the trenches with equipment built by the lowest bidder, uh, working for a huge overlord entity who essentially views them as expendable. Um, now I, I don't, I don't want to say that was what his experience was like, but that's what it's like in the game for most people. Um, mm-hmm. And that those are the themes that he brought with him when he wrote it. Cool. So it's got it's got some cyberpunk vibes to it too. Then yes, yeah, definitely. Um, there, there's a little bit of dark future with the the megacorps. You're you're either working for the megacorps, and if you're not working for the megacorps, uh, you're working for a government that's run by the megacorps. And pretty much anything and everything you own and buy is made by one of the megacorps. Yeah. So if you if you want to look at dark themed movies that would kind of evoke the feel, you're looking at like Blade Runner work. You've got, you know, the guy that's in the tower all by himself with massive amounts of space, and then everyone else is living in the smog or fifth element. You got the same sort of thing, right? It's Organist Tower, and you've got a small glare that people can and people get fired because, you know, I don't want to fire five hundred thousand, fire a million. Just cuts. You know, or you go to Star Wars, there's no OSHA. So, oh yeah, we don't want to bother with the rail. That's that's expensive. We can use that metal to make four more guns. So you just don't just don't fall off. Or if you do, I'll get a new guy. Up to you. And uh, so it's it's that that dark kind of a feel that's uh, kind of pervasive in, in the setting that has been built out in the, in the background. OK, well, that you know what, though, that that type of stuff. I mean, there were there were a number of well, cyberpunk, you know, came out of that early 90s, this Slay Industries, all kind of with with some of those themes. So that's that's cool. That's it. And those are themes I often like to play with. But yeah, like. I do have the quick start for this that you guys have on drive through. And I have to say the artwork is, is very impressive. Thank you. Thank you. And it, it like you get that, that, that sci-fi weird space, but it also carries that dark feel. So when you said, you said it's a D 100 system. And, and when someone says that my mind immediately goes to call of Cthulhu or the BRP system. Looking at your quick start, it doesn't look like that to me. <laughs> yeah, uh, honestly, one of the the big influences when we got a hold of the system, we had two goals uh, in terms of the system mechanics, uh, and that was to streamline and clarify the mechanics. Essentially, when Larry wrote it back in the late '80s, everybody was working with Dungeons and Dragons back then. That was the frame of reference that everybody had, and so he essentially sort of moved that to uh, a D100 system. When we got a hold of it as part of that streamlining and clarifying process, uh, we made certain things hopefully uh, easier. And a lot of my influences, if we're going to go back to an old D100 system, would be top secret SI in, in terms of, of D100 mechanics. Okay. Yeah. I've, I've not played that. I have heard of it, but I've not played it. Lots of fun. <laughs> So, I mean, you know, we've got a kind of an overview. Where do you guys want to start? Let me just throw this out there because you've mentioned the species and we've got 14 of them. And sometimes that helps people kind of orient towards, you know, when we talk about far in the future, vast setting, because this is predominantly set in the Milky Way galaxy, but there's already toeholds in local galactic clusters. And so the, the amount of space that's available is vast, which 
honestly gives gaming groups the opportunity to either integrate with a lot of the backstory that's here or you know stake out a claim on an area that's not at all related to what's going on and kind of push off to the side and do their own thing so I, maybe i'll just uh, real quick kind of give people a a very brief rundown on each of the species that we have because uh, sometimes it kind of gets people like that sounds kind of cool okay and i believe we have a lot of that artwork in the quick start rules which we'll is go alphabetically. The Chatillions are psychic empaths. Uh, so they tend to be really good at spy type stuff because, uh, you know, I need the password. Oh gosh, he's going to read my mind. Don't tell him the password is password. Ah, his password is password? Really? Seriously? <laughs> <laughs> We've got the Scizorak, who are female battle cats. Only the females get to uh, adventure around. The males are kept at home, locked away where they belong. Uh, and they run around typically with uh, a look and shoot harness that lets them basically become a mobile tank. Uh, they're rather large, uh, as you can imagine. We call them battle mm -hmm. cats. They're actually sort of like a cross between a saber-toothed tiger or a, a Siberian tiger and a, uh, a hyena. They can go all, all the way upright, but they tend to work around on all fours. Uh, Aridani are essentially the alien, uh, it's easy to describe them as space samurai. They are a very caste-driven system in terms of their background. Very much the warriors are in charge. Kind of like Sparta, you know, the warriors are in charge of everything. And everyone else kind of supports what they're doing to uh, further their species goals. The FOT were genetically engineered as a kind of a insult to the uh, Galactic Alliance. The Galactic Alliance uh, has someone that's not a fan of theirs uh, named Uncle Ernie Freiberg, who's one of the antagonists in the game. And uh, he uh, was irritated by something Alliance did. So he just basically decided to genetically engineer something out of bits of humans, rabbits, and a couple other things. So he created uh, what looked like basically. Walking, talking rabbits. We like to call them redneck rabbits with guns. And there are a lot of them. They, <laughs> well, are rabbits. Um, humans and edge humans, not too surprising. You know, genetically modified humans and humans are straightforward to understand. Genetically modified humans do get some interesting little bumps from a mechanics perspective. The keen are a new species we've added. Uh, we're not in previous editions. And they are a trifibious creature. They um, have a slime coat that's a... Uh, symbiotic relationship with them that makes them have perfect camouflage and uh, they can glide they can climb they can swim um, they make really good uh, recon scout overwatch that kind of a thing uh, so there's a number of different roles they take uh, mazians or motzians are these uh, little balls of goo that can turn into just about anything so for those who've seen star uh, star trek deep space nine and seen odo and he transforms into a lot of things something like that but a lot more capabilities Anything they can see, they can replicate. Usually they have to create an eye so they can see it first, but once they can see it, then they're in, they're in good shape. So it's, it, it gives them a, a lot of, um, for anybody who's played a superpowers game, it's like they have the ability to shapeshift into anything. Okay. So they're they're kind of cool. They're not so good at combat because, frankly, they don't understand it. It's just kind of like, I, I ooze over you, you ooze over, ooze over me. How does this... I don't understand. <laughs> the Mitsakans are really kind of, to some degree, a power behind the Alliance. Um, they've been around forever and a day. They look a lot like the Roswell aliens. So big bulb heads, little eyes, little ears. They are, um, in D&D terms, they're space, space wizardy. They have psychic powers that let them control energy. They have a lot of really interesting abilities as they go. Um, I'll take a pause here on mechanics. And the way that the psychic power stuff works is you, you can buy into you can essentially buy powers like skills or you can put your energy on skills so you have a choice of how deep you want to go down the quote-unquote wizard path versus the other skills you can pick up if you want to be better at weapons or engineering you could do that instead of um, more powers orion rogues the name kind of gives it away 
they're party animals. They love to do anything. They'll do anything on a dare. They're actually, their uh, culture is basically run by syndicates. So, so they have mobs in charge of just about everything, which is probably partly how the megacorps kind of got in charge of things. Probably Orion rogues were in the middle of all that saying, let's organize it this way. And they partnered up with the Fentari, who strangely enough are arboreal, uh, even though they are squid-like and that they've got tentacles. They've got four tentacles, two eyes on the sides of their head. They can actually see in all directions because they believe in survival of the fittest. Their entire species is about that. In fact, their laws are pretty straightforward. If you can get away with it, nobody can prove you did it. It's not against the law. You didn't break any laws. And if you do break the law, somebody will take care of you because clearly you're inferior and you just need to go. So definitely want to be careful around the Fentari. They're only dangerous when they get behind. Don't let them get behind you. It's bad. <laughs> so the Pythonians and the Ram Pythonians both share out the same planet. The Ram Pythons we've described before, kind of like a ten foot tall brick wall, like Andre the Giant, but bigger. Not not necessarily the smartest, but uh, really good at heavy shock groups. Uh, Ram Pythons are terrestrial. The Pythonians are closer to like uh, I think um, like a big snapping turtle. They do have a bit of a carapace. Yeah, they're both very lizardy. Andre the Giant, if he were a giant lizard. <laughs> there you go. Does not have little dinosaur arms either. No, he has really big tree trunk arms. They like to run around with what they call a flackum stick. We would call it a small tree. <laughs> they like to take said stick and um, whack things with it. And once they flack them, uh, they usually flack for distance. Uh, <laughs> the Rosette are another new species that we've added. Um, we needed something because we, we added a lot of gameplay in the, in the base ship space. And we wanted someone to really be there from a system repairs kind of a thing. So probably from a movie's reference, since we don't have a visual here that we can share, um, anybody who's seen the prawns in, is it District 9? Is that what it was called? Um, Tony, drawn a blank. Yeah. Yeah, District 9, um, the prawns in District 9 that were around uh, South Africa. Vaguely like that. They have kind of this weird technically kind of a mouth part. Um, and wings, they can also fly. They can hang upside down. They, they don't really care what angle they're flying around at. Insectoid. Um, and we've got the Zen. The Zen are also psychic. They're psychic healers. Um, everyone loves them because they're just amazing. They'll heal anybody and everybody. It's all put back together. They're very nice. Uh, except for the ones who break the law, anyone who breaks their, their extreme code of ethics. Um, and I do say extreme because they're, they have a very strict code of ethics. They get branded za and uh, go to re-education because clearly they need a little bit of help understanding the true way of being a Zen. Okay. I sense a lot of different influences here. That covers here. the bases. I missed one. Yep. Yeah, no, but that's, I mean, that's quite a wide variety of, of things and, and not in where a lot of games, it's a little bit different. It's, you've got a lot different in a lot of different directions, which is pretty cool. Yeah, we wanted to give... As we look at the different species, everyone that we kind of have an archetype, if you will, for each of the species that as people start, like, well, this is kind of the default path that it would be. And they have a default role they would tend to play. Uh, so some lend themselves better towards espionage, like the Chitillion's like amazing at that because they can, you know, like I said, they can read minds and they can they can figure out where things are at. Mazians are also great for infiltration. Um, you've got your teen who are very good at overwatch or sneaking into places, uh, sneaking through the forest, that kind of a thing. Sizzarak were great at, at uh, making long-distance runs to cover lots of distance to get to an enemy base in the open. That's kind of getting more of the military theme. Half the fun on a lot of these characters, like Dave said, is playing against theme. You know, you don't have to be a big, dumb Ram Python. You can, if you want, you can play a smart Ram Python, or you can play a, a Sizzarak who's good at espionage rather than scouting. Uh, you know, so it's, uh, 
that, that's that's part of the uh, i think some of the appeal to the game yeah another fun part that really makes i, I think I, my favorite part of rolling up characters in this game system and always has been is there's uh something that's called the i was growing up tables i was just growing up when you make a die roll and you might get an answer like uh your parents told you they won the lottery they put you in the best schools and they gave you a trust fund or maybe uh, a dual cost to an eye you have no depth perception so you get these curveballs that you have a concept in your head of what your character is going to be. And then you go through these tables and you get additional flavor to your character. And it may add a twist that you weren't planning for that you have to try to incorporate into your role play. So it gives you some really cool ideas. And as you go up the tables, the consequences get bigger, bigger in a good way. Not. So okay. uh, it can go horribly wrong or horribly well. I like those kind of like life path features and character creation, though various different forms of them I've seen through the years, but I, I tend to like those because like you said, they do just kind of give you, for lack of any better way to say it, just inspiration, you know, like like you said, to look at it from a different angle, which is, I, I always think makes games more fun. Yes, it's, it adds a lot of little spice there. And the other fun factoid is this was one of two game systems that I'm aware of where you could die during character creation. We've kind of toned that down a little bit. But uh, yeah, you, uh, in the original rules, you could you could die and not get done with character creation. Much like Traveler, you could you could die in character creation there too. Yeah, so I've, I've heard that. That's another one. I one of these days I need to to learn about some Traveler. But uh, and that's where I cut my teeth. Ah, okay. The first game that I fell in love with was Rifts, and I see a lot of the same appeals in this. That it is maybe not as much of a kitchen sink as Rifts, which was kind of one of the good things and bad things about it, I think, uh, the riffs that is, where yep. this is a little more focused. Like, you can still do darn near anything, but it's got a little bit more focus. And I, I think it shares some of those over-the-top elements that riffs had. It is very much a tactical rule set, so you have to be, you can't do something like, you know, charging the, the gun emplacement and expect your character to live. So you, it's not quite that over the top, but it, it does have the, some of those elements. And e even more so in the Savage Worlds version, it, we, it, we sort of push that over the top concept and, and, and gameplay. Mm -hmm. and it's a, a few clicks closer towards Millennium's and then Top Secret. Well, that was actually the one other thing that I, that I did want to get into and, and we can get into it now or later or whatever. but. Um... Yeah, you know, I did see that you guys are, I guess, are you still working on the Savage Worlds adaptation or do you actually have that finished? We're looking at doing a, essentially a two book set, the core rules and what I like to refer to as the Carnage Companion. The core rules are basically done. Both of them were written at the same time because I didn't want to develop a rule set that worked for Savage Worlds and then add stuff to it, potentially breaking it. So they were developed at the same time, but we finished writing the core rules first. They are pretty much in beta test stage. We're getting ready to send them out to pre-release reviewers uh, for when we do the Kickstarter for it next year. So it's... Uh, I used to tell people it'll be ready when it's ready. Uh, the good news is it's pretty close to ready. Well, that's cool. And like, I guess for me, that's that's what... I'm the most interested in. I actually own the Savage, well, I own the Savage Worlds core book and a handful of different settings, but I haven't actually played it yet. But it feels like, how do I want to say this? Battlelords, just skimming the, the, the quick start, feels like it's, it's kind of a crunchy tactical game. 
which I don't think is in any way a bad thing. And it, it works very well if you've got the more military themes, like you've mentioned, that's part of what it's based on. You know, and, and if I was, you know, back in college or in my teens, I'd have been all over it. Right. But now that I'm 40 something and I have to do this day job thing and I have a lot less time to devote to games and I like to play lots of different games. So having to learn a whole nother, what do you want to say, higher level system appeals to me a little less than going, oh, wait, there's a Savage Worlds version of this. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's definitely a uh, a crunchy tactical game. There's a lot of material in the game and what we call it the X-150 system in the, in the, in the current rule set. And we do that because part, as part of that tactical crunchiness, we reward players who essentially dig into it. Um, there's little secrets to find. There's little synergies in terms of matching up weapon systems or weapon systems and armor. But we understood pretty quickly that that didn't necessarily appeal to everybody. And that was one of our reasons for doing a Savage Worlds uh, adaptation of it, is that people who wanted something you know, quote that that uh, Fast and Furious, fun Fast and Furious reputation that Savage Worlds has. You know, we thought Battle Wars was a good fit for that. You move it from a little more of the tactical to a little more of the adventure uh, side, uh, and, and push the over the top aspects that are already in the game. But that Savage Worlds really sort of encourages. And yeah, we thought it was it was a good match. And I'll just add that when we run the cons, we actually run it with the quick start rules. And uh, it doesn't take very long to get people engaged on that. We do a five-minute intro, and we do a, our first encounter with where we use a skill, first encounter where we do something with a weapon. And then after that, everyone's just flying along. So you don't have to go dive headlong into the full crunch in the deep end. You can always just play around in the lightweight quick start rules and just run with it. it. It doesn't have to be really tactical and really heavy. It can be a very light, very quick game. Oh, that's cool, though. You know, and like I said, I, and I don't mean to say that crunchy and tactical is bad because there was a time in my life where I loved games like that and I still enjoy playing them. My problem is I just don't seem to have the time to dedicate to them to be able to play it without having to constantly look stuff up anymore. No, I, I understand. And that's why I was just kind of like, that's one of the things we've been trying to do is really expand the options for people so they can choose. Do they want to get really crunchy? Great. Do you want to get less crunchy? Great. Right. It, it doesn't have to be this is the way you got to play. The nice thing about it is we're really trying to get say, hey, there is a set of rules. This is a way of thinking about playing the game. And here's some options that let you kind of decide where on the spectrum you want to be. Take it, run with it and fun. That's I mean, our rule. Number one is have fun. And if you want to do it lightweight, you want to do it crunchy. Great. Are you having fun? Good. If not, what do you need to do to change it to make it fun? Yeah. And that I think, you know, that's that approach is to be commended because I think that's very much in the spirit of what gaming should be. So, uh, boy, just looking at some of these these images and uh, in the quick start, I'm going to call it page about 22. There's like some giant mecha thing. Is that part of this game, too? Yeah. Or is that just a Ram Python in, in armor? There, uh, well, we've got those two, um, but the yeah, the 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 armor scale in the game goes from body armor to heavy armor, which is essentially immune to small arms fire, to mechanized battle armor, which is just like heavy armor except that it augments your strength and sometimes agility, uh, all the way up to what you mentioned that uh, looks like a mecha, which we refer to as ultra armor, and those are uh, essentially the the mecha level armors in the game. That was the other thing that we wanted to do. 
uh, with the game, the, the last edition of the rules had not been updated since, I want to say, 2000. And it was still black and white artwork, uh, soft cover book. And we're doing this edition. We wanted to bring it up to or past industry standards. So the new version is full color throughout, hardback, glossy paper. We always joke with people, you may find a book that um, has more pages than that, but you're not going to find one that's heavier than it is. And it's just because of the materials we used. That book should last forever. But as part of that, we wanted to make it as much art book as role-playing game book. I mean, we wanted it something where you could set it on your coffee table and someone would pick it up and go, wow, the art in this is really cool. And uh, uh, like we were mentioning before uh, we, we came on the air, I, I pretty much scoured the world on the internet looking for the best artists that would work with us uh, to get that art in the book. And there's another PDF you can download off Drive Through RPG uh, that's free, and it's called the Battle Lords Interior Preview. Uh, and it highlights a lot more of the cool artwork that's in the book if uh, people want to take a peek. Yep, and it's free. Very cool. Yeah, like I said, I've, I've just been kind of, you know, scrolling through the quick start. And, like, some of these images are, are really, really well done and evocative and, you know, show off some of the themes you were talking about earlier and just give you a sense of the world or the worlds. Yeah, we wanted to give people options as well. We built out the game system to really kind of go from in D&D terms, first level to 20th level. Previous editions had focused a little heavier on the kind of the first 10, but, you know, the ability to get into Mecca and run around battling things that you have to be in Mecca to even have a prayer of dealing with kind of helps you just kind of keep growing your gameplay in that mode. Okay. So you said before, and just so, so I'm staying clear, this is a skill-driven game, not a level-based game, right? Or both? Correct. It's a skill-based game. I would say that, um, you know, kind of the main drivers of the sense of progression are going to be, one, skills, and then, two, your equipment um, becomes a big part of it. And I mean, if you think about, you know, there's, it is thigh, phi, so there is a science piece of it. So the kind of the, the reality piece of it is that all the skills in the world don't help without the right tool. So as you go along, you know, you replace your pointy stick or your 22 with something a little bit better. Eventually, you get to the point where you're running around, you know, basically tank guns. And uh, you're fighting things that look at tank guns and go, huh, that's funny. You got anything bigger? And you're like, uh, guys, I need a little help here. Okay. Yeah. So it, that makes a lot of sense, though. Yeah. So y- your progression is, yeah, it's it's more linear and not as, as choppy as, as level-based progression, too, then. Yeah. Yes. And it's very free form um, in that you can decide a path. If I want to be very combat focused, you start going down that. And after a few sessions, the, the team's like, you know. If we if we were sneaking into buildings and like actually sneaking versus like shooting our way in, we might not shot up as much. Maybe let's try that. <laughs> well, that's yeah. And that's like sometimes people like I remember the one complaint you would always hear. I'm sure you guys are at least moderately familiar with Cyberpunk 2020. Oh, yeah. Is people go, it's so deadly. Well, yes, it is. That's because when they designed it, they didn't want you to shoot first necessarily. And, and Battle Lords is very similar in that respect. Um, it is um, definitely a game where you are going to want and need armor. And uh, if you get shot without armor, your existence is going to be short and sweet because 23rd century weaponry uh, is really good at what it does. And without armor to protect you, you're going to be a thin red mist on the wall. So, yeah, we, we um, th- there is some of that, particularly when people realize how, again, it's based on Larry's experience in, in the Army. And 
you know, he used to joke, well, if I've got you in my sights, I'm not going to miss. <laughs> so it's pretty easy to actually hit things uh, in Battle Orcs, which again puts that emphasis on armor. But uh, the armor mechanics in the game allow you to customize that suit of armor to your heart's content. There are literally hundreds of armor options uh, that change the functionality and capabilities of that suit. And so players can toy and tinker. I, I kind of tell them it's, it's like being Iron Man only in the future. You can build out that suit however you want. Sounds fun. I, I, I like fiddling with things. Yeah, it, so... I do actually have a question, and then you've kind of mentioned it a time or two. This was originally developed by this other gentleman, and then he put out several editions of it, and then it sort of, you said, almost went dead for 15 years or so, and then you guys acquired it somehow or acquired the rights to it, or, or how did that? Yeah, Larry uh, developed it. Larry Sims developed it. Originally, it was his idea, his concepts in the late 80s, first published in 1990, rapidly went through three editions of the book within a couple years. And then Larry passed the torch to uh, two guys named Mike and Aaron, who had a company called SSDC, and they ran the Battle Lords brand for years. And even though the last update of the core rules was in 2000, they were still putting out source books every few years. So I, I don't want to say it was dead. It's just that the core rules had not been updated in, uh, in a long time. Mm-hmm. And Mike and Aaron carried that torch for a long time. And eventually they got tired, <laughs> as anybody would have. And we had been writing the books for them, helping them uh, develop the product essentially as freelancers. And when they were tired of it, they said, we don't know what to do with it, but we don't, you know, we, we don't want to keep carrying on. And I said, wait a minute, I'll be right back. And I went and got a hold of Dave and Michelle and Kurt, who are uh, the, the four LLC members here. And I said, I, I have, I did a Star Lord. I said, I have part of a plan. And they said, okay. And I said, I want to I wanna get the Battle Lords game from SSDC and essentially reboot it. Make sure it doesn't, it doesn't burn out. It's, it's too, too good of a game, too good of a setting to just let it fade away. And thankfully, they bought into my crazy idea. And uh, here we sit today. We successfully kickstarted the core rules in 2000. 17 released it 2019 uh released a compilation of one-shot scenarios uh called charlie foxtrot last year and uh, this year we're kickstarting our uh, arms and equipment manual our year manual so we've been uh, been going uh, ever since yep and we've kind of been picking up speed like tony said we it took us a couple years to get that first edition out all the things we had going on but after that um we then started the the one-shot adventures and then we've been throwing out side content in pdf form only in addition to prepping for the next um, book and so we're on a pace right now to probably go slightly faster than one new book a year with savage worlds coming here early next year and additional pdf content already in writing so we have several things in writing several things in layout several things uh, final layout so it's it's uh, pretty busy sounds it but that's that's i guess that's a good good problem to have right it is yeah. So, like, are you going to be, you, you know, like you've got your, your gear book. Was it actively on Kickstarter as we speak? It is. It is currently running. There's about two weeks left, and it is, I checked today, we're 86% funded, I believe, um, with two weeks left to go. Okay. So now, when you do the Savage World stuff, are you going to be 
including some of that? Is that going to be like maybe a future, say, a PDF-only release for the Savage Worlds? Do you have plans in that regard? It will really depend on the response we get from Savage Worlds and, the, I should say, the, the limitations of that system. Battle Lords is very tactical. There's a lot of granularity, a lot of detail in it. And because Savage Worlds has to run faster, it doesn't support a lot of that kind of thing. So the, the variations in weapons and armor and equipment that we see in Battle Lords, Savage Worlds just won't support. You know, if I pick three guns that are right next to each other in terms of price and Battle Lords, they would essentially be the same gun in Savage Worlds because of the way it, the, the, the rules work. So some of that will port over and uh, some of it will not. But again, it'll really depend on the kind of response and reception we get. Uh, initially, we're just planning the two books, The Core Rules and The Carnage Companion. And if people like it and love it, yeah, we'll, we'll port over the, the rest of the content we have from the, uh, the X-150 rule set uh, over to Savage Worlds. Cool. Yeah, I think, like you said, you know, yes, the granularity doesn't transfer as much, but I, I feel like the the general themes and kind of the sense of action I get from it, I think, would fit Savage Worlds very well. Oh yeah, the um, you know, particularly with the the, the species where we've got, like uh, Dave was talking about, you, you've got your Sisseracs, who are basically like giant Siberian tigers with guns on their back, and the Eridanis, who are these mohawked. We call them sword saints, alien samurais, and you know, the, with the edge system in Savage Worlds, and you've got these guys doing crazy over the top stuff. You know, the Eridani's doing backflips across the battlefield, stabbing people with his plasma sword. Yeah, I think the game system really lends itself to that sort of a fun, fun and uh, over the top nature uh, that that is present in Battle Lords. Yeah, we had at uh, Gen Con, we did have a. Um one or two sessions of the um, the rules as they were at that time. People had a blast. Well, it definitely sounds like a really cool game, and I'm excited. I'm going to go ahead and throw it in my cart here on, on drive-thru, and definitely excited to get my hands on it and get trying it out just to pipe in here. The thing I'm really enjoying and the thing I really like hearing about is there's so much depth in this game that it seems like you guys have really... Well, and I don't know if this is from previous editions. I don't have much experience with it. I've I read a previous edition and felt a little bit underwhelmed, I guess is the way to put it. But with this newest edition, it sounds like there's a lot of depth in in not just the races, but the world that you've set up. And I think that's really cool. I'm I'm definitely excited to check it out and get my hands on a on a full copy of this because it is it is a really deep, cool world. And it, I understand where you're coming from when you say about savage worlds doesn't allow for the granularity and that is something that you do sort of lose with those systems like savage worlds but yeah i i really like how how deep even just the the different species have been explained and the idea of of using any of those as hooks for for stories or to tell a tell an overarching adventure i think that's just awesome thank you one of the goals Tony had for this was really to make sure that we brought out a lot of the themes that were present, but um, the core rules never seemed to be housing all of that. you want to talk more to that, Tony? In, in terms of the current edition or Savage Worlds? Current edition. Current edition, yeah. The, um, we were fortunate that we had literally 30 years of material to draw on when we, when we decided to revamp the game system. And 
as, as Dave will tell you, we had a thousand pages of content by the time we were done revamping the core rules. And we were like, okay, we can't release a thousand page book. <laughs> no one would buy it. So it, the, the hardest part was keeping that level of detail in there while figuring out what we needed to trim out. And um, one of the ways we did that was we looked at what was either missing or, or needed to be addressed from prior systems. And part of that you already touched on is that we wanted to add depth to each of those species. So you got a lot more information about them. We've also expanded upon the GM section. There's information on there for running campaigns for mercenaries, pirates, soldiers, and spies. Um, we've added a lot more information about the Battle Lords universe in general. And I know one of the things Dave is really proud of is uh, he engineered the space combat rules that were never in the game up until this point, which we always thought was a little weird. You know, it's a sci-fi game and takes place in space and there's no spaceship rules. Um, so the question has um, spaceship rules. So after we added that additional material that we thought was missing from the prior rules, the, the hard part was figuring out what what content we needed to to keep to in order to keep that depth that that was a little little tricky yep that also kind of hints at why we're able to really have a pretty good pace right now we have a lot of material we could draw on that was that was built out and then it's like oh yeah we're gonna have to pull that out now oh and and, and that too oh and and, and that one uh, still cutting well, since it's sort of a new addition, why don't we go ahead and talk about space combat? I know that can be a contentious issue in other game systems where it can be a point of difficulty to run that. So why don't you tell me a little bit about how your space combat system works? Okay. So from a combat perspective, well, actually, from a gameplay perspective, let me back up to that. One of the things we want to do is the, the core of Battle Lords, as Larry wrote it, again, drawing on his experiences, one of the themes, you know, you get a bunch of people in boot camp, they come from all different backgrounds and they may have prejudices they, they may they may they'll be carrying a lot of baggage or whatever but they all have to come together to function as a unit and so the one of the core themes has always been getting people to come together you may not completely like that other person but you've got to be able to trust that they're going to do their part of the job so you guys all survive right so we want to keep that feel and one of the risks with vehicles especially with a system as tactical as this if we got too tactical, you end up playing spaceship versus spaceship. And we wanted to avoid that. So what we did was integrate really the action uh, action mechanic that we have. So when people are driving their characters and their characters are doing things, they burn actions. And they have a certain number of actions depending on one of their stats. And they can do a certain amount of things and then they're done for their turn. And they can hold them back and all that kind of stuff. So we wanted to expand that into spaceships. So they basically are sitting at a station. They can be at the bridge. They can be the pilot. They can be at more of the bridge station where they're trying to, you know, manage everything. They could be at engineering. They could be at a gun. And so they've got choices. You know, do I want to fire the the deck gun that I've got here that uh, at this uh, ship that's pursuing us uh, or this maybe that's docked with us? Or do I want to take out my pistol and shoot the guy that's coming in to take me out? Do I shoot the guy? Do I shoot the ship? What, what are my choices? So it, it it plays a lot like the regular game just with spaceships as one of the things that are an extension of the characters, really. And uh, when it comes to the combat, the combat's fairly abstracted if you're talking ship-to-ship -ship combat itself. But a lot of it's, again, about the players and the actions they choose. But the feel would be kind of like the Caribbean, um, where you've got a faster ship and a slower ship. It's a relative frame of reference. The, the faster ship's going to eventually catch up. It's space. Space is big. Given enough time, they'll catch up. So it's it's about 
the actions that the characters choose to try to discourage the closing of distance to try to damage them and uh, damage the other ship or whatever. That help give a little bit of a feel? Yeah, definitely. That that does help and and give an idea of what what to look forward as far as as far as ship to ship combat. Yeah. I, I, I really enjoy that. I, I think that's a good take anytime I see somebody that's like, okay, everybody has a role on the ship, they're gonna do what they need to do and you are also independent and can make a decision to do something aside from just your role. Uh, I think sometimes they can get in spots where everybody's locked into a spot and it's like, well, what are you doing? I'm navigating. Uh, I'm going to continue to navigate, even though there's guys boarding the ship and I could shoot that guy, but I'm going to continue to navigate. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that we wanted to keep the focus on the characters. Um, the, the analogy I use for a lot of people is it's, it's, it's battle or it's armor infantry combat. It's just the spaceship is a big suit of armor and you're all occupants. <laughs> But uh, every, everybody is doing something in that giant suit of floating armor. And um, the, the way the game system is designed, it actually encourages boarding actions because we'd, we'd still want that infantry aspect of the game going on. And, and like Dave said, we want you to have that, that duality of choice. Uh, you said, do I keep navigating or do I let this guy come up behind me and hit me in the head with a pipe? Maybe I should turn around and shoot this guy. <laughs> right, right. That's, yeah, I, I dig that. It's... Uh, that's something that's really cool, and and I like hearing that you guys are are pushing for the duality of of the situation. And the other thing we try to remind the game masters and and the teams is these things are not matchbox cars you could buy a dozen of. These are really big, expensive things. If you're pursuing someone, you don't really want to shoot uh, shoot it into a big fireball because then you've got nothing, and it's worth enough to keep you fed for a very long time. So there's a you should if your if your characters are not motivated to keep that other ship around or to keep your own ship around, you've kind of lost sight of the bigger picture. This this thing's a really you know as Tony said a big big expensive suit of armor. You don't want it. Uh, you know you're okay with getting it scuffed, maybe dinged a little, but you're you're better off just leaving if you can get away because that's what you would rather do. It's it's way more expensive to prepare these things than you really want to spend. Well, and yeah, and to go off on that, the implications of like story-wise as far as say you end up jettisoned in space. Now your boss is mad at you because you just lost this massive, you know, massive expense. <laughs> like there's implications aside from just, oh, well, it's another another Matchbox car. I, I, I like that. I like that too because it's it, it does push for the players to feel some responsibility towards the vehicle and not just, uh, eh, we'll get another one. I like a couple of things you mentioned there, like where, you know, for, for ship combat, it, it doesn't come down to just, you know, the pilot and the gunner that are actually doing things. You know, there's, there's stuff for everybody. And I actually, too, I, I like the idea that, that you were mentioning that, what do you want to say as a, if you will, a culture, it kind of ties into that cyberpunk theme that, Hey, these ships are big and expensive. We don't want to mess those up. Let's get down and dirty where we can just, you know, soldiers are, are replaceable ships aren't. And it, mm-hmm. it, it it's kind of a twisted logic. I'll point that out, but it makes sense in that kind of cyberpunk corporate, whatever mentality. Well, another way to frame it would be the Caribbean, right? You know, in the Caribbean in the 1600s or 1700s, if you were on a ship, that was your only way home. If it got destroyed, you are stuck wherever you were in a shark's belly in the ocean in space. You're stuck out in space. You've got how many hours of air? Might want to keep the source of your air 
still generating error. You know, or if you're chasing someone, you know, yeah, you really want that ship, but if you blow it up, you've got nothing and your ship's damaged now. So now you're even further in the hole. So it, it it's that feel of you're you're so far from everything else, which is a common theme in the in the game, even if you're not doing spaceship combat, that just kind of reminds you that, you know, you gotta certain things are expendable and disposable. Usually the players. <laughs> <laughs> True. Uh, but but certain things you really do want to keep around because that's where you keep your stuff. No, no, it, it makes sense. And and I like taking that tact in, in framing it. Yeah, and it's it's another way that we encourage boarding actions because you know really what the they're playing battle wars. It's you know they they the, the focus should be on the character, and a lot of times it's that's easier to do if you're in a fight and and the person you're fighting is right in front of you. Um, it also gives you an opportunity to counterboard their ship. You know, oh, you're going to come on my ship. I'm going to go on your ship. How do you like that? And then you yeah, so you've got them fighting on both sides. But uh, yeah, that we we tried to keep that focus on 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 the players. And as as Dave mentioned, one of the one of the themes that we didn't mention Battle Lords is that you're usually really far away from things. And I, I tell people Battle Lords has a lot of themes in common with horror movies or or horror role playing games, in that the characters are typically isolated. You know, you're you know it's you're not going to get into a much of a battle on a tier one city if all you have to do is call the police and they come in with a SWAT team. So most of the things that your mer- corporate mercenaries are doing are out on the frontier or out on colony worlds or are, are out in the remote fringes where you are your only backup. And, uh, you know, if you can't get the job done, nobody else is going to. By the time people figure out that there's a problem and that you guys are out there and you need some help and then they figure out where you're at, then they find somebody they can go get dispatched to get to you. And then that team gets rerouted and sent over in your direction. You've either solved the problem or you may be just about to starve. Yeah. Space is vast. Funny enough, that's how a lot of our scenarios in Charlie Foxtrot start, is you're just minding your own business on a corporate spaceship on your way home from successfully completing your mission, and you get rerouted someplace else because somebody needs help, and you're the closest corporate mercenaries, and uh, you're parent corporation essentially leases you out whoever needs help oh there's a problem with this this uh, amc mining colony you guys are the closest mercenaries we're going to outsource you to them and uh, you know suit up we'll, we'll drop you off in, in a, a few hours and usually hilarity ensues because most of the time just because you're the closest doesn't mean you're the most well qualified there's one mission we run where you are essentially an espionage team you're a corporate espionage team and they drop you into a combat mission because you're the closest ones and you're horribly ill-equipped to handle it. But that's, you know, you're, you're just viewed as an asset to your corporation. See, I like playing with ideas like that. <laughs> <laughs> I know Steve's chuckling because we ran a cyberpunk one shot a while ago and he was just talking about it last episode, but where his character was basically a corp that wanted to be a solo and how it, it provided a lot of amusement in that game session. Yeah. Think of the company team. Yeah. We've already updated your record to reflect that you're experts in everything needed for this mission, and you could make the company some extra money. Just go ahead and take care of it for us, please. We'd appreciate that. That'd be great. Yeah. I I had a lot of fixers and rocker boys who wanted to be solos. Um, <laughs> that, that was the great thing about Cyberpunk, though. I mean, you could armor up and, and gun up as much as you want, but the solos were always going first. So. Yeah. So, I mean... Is there anything that 
you want to highlight in particular that maybe you're particularly proud of or anything that's that you want to highlight for the audience? Like as a like, hey, if you're not sold yet, we also have this like, you know, if we haven't brought you in with good pizza, we also have cupcakes. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, I I would say if we haven't brought you brought you in with with the uh, with the combat, it would probably be the dark humor. There is a lot of dark humor in Battle Lords, and that comes from Larry's experiences in the service. Uh, service personnel see a lot of stuff that they would probably rather not see and rather not deal with. And one of the ways they maintain their sanity is to make light of it with a lot of dark and inappropriate humor, and that is in this game. You're playing corporate mercenaries or soldiers, and there's an element of that dark humor that pervades everything. The, the, the usual way we show that are the uh, most of the characters in this game have a love-hate relationship with the medical apparatus, uh, the apparatus in, the, in the game. The example I give is if you are critically wounded, it's cheaper to grow you a new body from the neck down than to heal you. So what the medic will do is he will run over to you and take a look at you and go, ooh, you're going to need a Kleenex. And then he'll grab this device that we call the hat box because it looks like a hat box. only got a handle on top. And uh, he will place that thing over your head. Uh, it will inject a cryogenic injection into your head to basically put you in, in cryogenic stasis and then decapitate you. And then he carries your head in the hat box with a convenient handle back until they can grow you a new body. Uh, so a lot of the soldiers have a love-hate relationship with this thing because when the medic comes over with it, you know what's going to happen. <laughs> I mean, you're not dead, but it's not going to be pleasant. The Emmanuel states that <laughs> you're always unconscious and don't know or feel a thing when that happens, according to the manual. According to the manual. Uh, so there, there, there are a lot of dark humor elements um, in the game, a lot of that military humor that uh, that both the play the play we we use it for the players so one it doesn't become so serious the game can get pretty gritty I mean, if you take a look at our critical hit chart which is in that those free quick start rules you can see right away that that uh, that again that's based off of uh, military injuries it's a, it's a little gritty and grimy and gross and the levity is one of the ways that we keep that game from getting too serious so it serves two functions one is to keep the game from getting too serious, keep it fun. And the other is to sort of replicate that dark humor that uh, enlisted personnel use to, to sort of keep their sanity uh, when things are dark. Cool. So um, where can people find this? I mean, obviously you get the PDFs, whatever, on drive-thru. Do you guys have a, a website you sell through? Do you have some retail distribution, all of the above? Yep, um, it's uh, obviously it's on Drive Through RPG, which is probably the uh, that and our website, which is battlelords.com, are probably the best place to get the quick start rules and that interior preview of the book, both of which are completely free. Uh, and I would encourage everybody to download them, take a look, see if you like it. Uh, if anything, the book is pretty to look at. We also uh, you can order products off of our website. Uh, our primary distributor is. Studio Two Publications. You can order off of their website, and uh, they carry the book. They can get that also to retailers and distributors. Uh, we're also carried by Indie Press Revolution. If you're a retailer, most distributors have it or can get it through one of those uh, entities or locations. And uh, as we mentioned earlier, we've got the Kickstart going, and there are some fantastic deals for um, our, our seventh edition stuff, our current edition materials on that Kickstarter. Is probably right now the the best place to grab the core rules is uh, is at the Kickstarter because we wanted to 
make it attractive to people to jump in, even though it's it's a Kickstarter for the gear manual. Uh, we wanted to make it a jumping on point for new players. So after you download those quick start rules and you're like, ooh, I got to have this, go over to the Kickstarter and take a look at the option that lets you get the core rules and some gear and maybe some other things. Uh, we've made the Kickstarter pretty basic. So we've got you know, just PDF only of the of the new gear, PDF and print for the gear. Or, and then after that, it's a tier four really picking up uh, core rules and the gear, PDF and print. And then we call it all the things. But you also have the option at any of those levels to just start adding in what you want. So it's kind of like give you four choices. And then after that, you can add and mix and match anything you want through the add-ons. Okay, cool. Lots of flexibility. We're also pretty active on social media. If you search Battle Lords, um, we're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Discord, probably forgetting a few. We're everywhere. <laughs> well, they keep changing. There's MeWe and this and that, and used to be Google Plus. That went away, and I don't know. And we have active communities on all of those sites. We have a Facebook discussion group that's really active. Our Discord is pretty active. We've got pretty active dialogue going with a lot of our fans on Twitter. So wherever you're at, if you have questions, there'll be people there who can answer them. Yep. And again, people have questions, and we take the time to come out. And if people have questions. Uh, and other people can't answer it, we'll jump in. Sometimes we're the first ones that jump in. It just kind of depends. It's a, it's a really good fan base that really helps each other. Hey, how would you handle this situation? Huh, that's a really good one. We've not had that one come up. I want to jump in. Well, here's some options. You could do it this way. You could do it this way. You could do it that way. What are you going for? Uh, and they're like, oh, I'd like it this kind of feel. Okay, well, if you can do that, then why don't you add this and this and this? Oh, that's really cool. And people kind of just jump in and help tweak and get that really that really cool feel that people are looking for. After 30 years, we've got some really hardcore fans. <laughs> Well, no, that's cool though. That 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 is a neat neat aspect to that, that. That I always think that's that's really cool to have. You know, a core group that that that's there to, for lack of a better word, help new people understand and get it. Yeah, and and we as crunchy as it is uh, on the on the crunchy end, well, we still joke amongst the folks at that twenty third century about creating that hackmaster edition where we have a table for everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah when we were originally play testing the new edition we had one of the aforementioned hardcore fans that um, that did not want anything changed nothing um it, it, so we 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 always joke that we should have made him an edition just for him but uh yeah we, we we it was streamlined and clarified as as much as we could do and still keep it battle lords mm-hmm. well that's cool you know i, I do like even though it's it's not a game that holds a, a place for me, I like the fact that you guys clearly fans enough of it yourselves and respect that, for lack of a better way, history of it to to want to keep it close to that, but also bring it more to a, a a more modern sensibility. I guess is a way to put it. Yeah, and we 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 definitely try to keep it true to its roots and try to make it more accessible to modern audiences, but it's still very much battle words. And, and in some cases, like a bad die job, the roots still show. And uh, that, but that's the way we wanted it. I used to joke with the team here and and our layout guy. You know, there's the right way to do things. There's the wrong way to do things. And there's the battle wars way to do things. And that's how we're going to do it. <laughs> well, very cool. So we'll see. We've covered the game, the cool parts of it, uh, where people can find it, where they can find you. Uh, anything else you guys want to say before we start wrapping things up here? No, I think that I'm sure I'll, at the minute I'm done, I'm sure I'll think of a dozen things, but I can't think of anything right now. 
Well, feel free to, to hang around on our Discord. I know some of our listeners are prone to, to ask questions and stuff. For one other thing out there, which is just that there's Tony's mantra to kind of keep us all centered on kind of what we need to do. It's science fiction. If you if you think about hardcore science fiction, it gets really you know crunchy if we start looking at Asimov and things like that. They're they're pretty heavy duty, right? Um, but science fiction can be much more lightweight. So Tony constantly says, start off with the realism. What would it be like? Look at the science and look at the fiction that we would create around that. Get the rule set created and then dial it back to playability. So build something, but then you make it fun, right? So. We tried to bring that to the players so that way, if you want to get really deep in there, great. If you don't, great. Dial it back to fun. What is fun for you? Pull that into the game. Yeah, I, I foresee myself running this game for some people in the eventual future. I won't say near future because I have too many other things slated to play in the near future. But in the eventual future, I will absolutely be playing this with with running this <laughs> playing with some people, I should say. <laughs> Cool. That's and honestly, that's um, part of what we wanted to do with the uh, with the Charlie Foxtrot um, edition. Um, give people the opportunity to run as a, a session as explorers. Um, you're there as colony inspectors, checking in on a colony that uh, seems to be doing pretty well, and just making sure that it's you know it's where it needs to be and growing like it needs to be grow. You can be uh, one of those adventures is more of a piratey thing. You've got mercenaries, you've got full on military army, you've got espionage. It gives people different experiences of gameplay types. And for lack of a better description for the people who aren't familiar with the game system, a, a level kind of a thing, a first level and, and tenth level. That people get a sense of what a beginner looks like and what somebody's been you know, playing their character for a while. Charlie Foxtrot is our is our compendium of one shot adventures. Yeah. Oh, okay. Very cool. Yeah. Well, I think we move into game of the week. Ooh, game of the week. So we've done a little bit of explaining what Game of the Week is to you folks. Would you like us to go first? Sort of show how this works, and then we can go from there? Sure. Sure. All right. Steve, I have one. Do you want me to go first? Sure. Why don't you go ahead? All right. I have a game that is called Retropunk. It is a minimalist cyberpunk role-playing game. It's from Sabjoko Publishing. It is a Powered by the Apocalypse or OSR game, depending on how you want to run it. And it is a surrealist cyberpunk game where you're somewhere between reality and augmented reality. Everybody has an augmented reality chip and what you perceive as real is may not be real. And I sort of haven't seen well. I've seen and played cyberpunk games where that's the twist, but I haven't seen a cyberpunk game where that's the whole, like where that's the base pitch. And I sort of enjoy that. The art's very surrealist. And, and I think that's cool. Sort of reminds me of, of the nineties movie, strange days. That's exactly what I was thinking of. <laughs> <laughs> no, it looks interesting. Yeah. I'll just keep it short, sweet and to the point. That's my game of the week. <laughs> Kind of sounds like, uh, what is it, SLA Industries. Little bit of Slay Industries, not quite as, my impression of Slay Industries is more um, more of just a weird science fiction reality. This is, this seems like it's more of playing with your perception of what reality is. Okay. Yeah, Slay, we've, we've kind of described Slay before as a heavy metal sci-fi punk. Mm-hmm. If that makes any sense. <laughs> yeah. 
which it, it, people who know the game kind of go, well, yeah, that kind of does make sense. But if you haven't, that's kind of confusing and not much I can do there. <laughs> it's a confusing game. I'm sorry. I, I know it's cool, but it's confusing. Anyways, yeah. uh, what do you got, Steve? Well, I got a couple of things, but I think I'm going to go with one that I haven't played myself, but I've heard a number of people, both on the internet and people I know in, in real life, tell me is a heck of a lot of fun. And that's Monster of the Week which is a part by the apocalypse game that is sort of well buffy to supernatural to x-files kind of all rolled into one you know the the blurb is most people don't believe in monsters but you know the truth they're real and it's your task to bring them down you know it's a standalone rpg for three to five people you know, it's got character creation rules, basic, you know, again, it's powered by the apocalypse. So you've got your moves, you know, the, the system is very simple and easy to use. Um, and like I said, I've got, uh, I, I've got a couple people I know that have told me they've played this and have really had a blast. So that's uh monster of the week from evil hat. I think that's mine. I'll have to mark that one down. That sounds fun. Yeah. And the PDF will set you back all of 12 bucks. There you go. Who wants to go next? <laughs> I can go. I'm I, I going to give the proviso to, to Dave. I want to see if he can find a game other than Traveler, because I know <laughs> that's what he usually go, goes for. But um, for my game, God, there's so many. I'm trying to think whether to go Mecha or Superheroes. I'm going to go Superheroes. So one of, one of the games we had a ton of fun playing was um, Godlike by Arc Dream. Oh, and you're essentially low-powered superheroes in World War II. Uh, and it's a ton of fun. It uses a die 10 dice pool system. Uh, was written by Greg Stoltz and, and Dennis DeWittler. I probably mispronounced his last name. My apologies. Um, yeah, you're making you're, – you're, you're enlisted or personnel or officers and working for the Allies in World War II, and you have superpowers. But you're, it's more like X-Men superpowers and less Justice League superpowers. Because uh, you still run around with the gun and the helmet. Uh, you know, one of our guys found out that, unlike most superhero campaigns, uh, that flying is the worst superpower in Godlike. Because the minute he broke cover, uh, he got gunned to bits <laughs> by the Germans. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a ton of fun. And the amount of depth they put into covering World War II as a setting is amazing. So they go really well together. So if, uh, if you like supers... Uh, and you like history, that's one to try out. Well, I, I have, I've been curious about that one for a while. I'm a huge fan of Delta Green, which, of course, is the same publishers. Um, and I believe both Dennis and Greg worked. Well, I know Dennis is the primary artist for uh, for Delta Green. I'm pretty sure Greg did a bunch of work on the system. So, yeah, I've been thinking about that one for a while. And you just reminded me. And now my wallet hates you. <laughs> It's definitely worth checking out. Well, very cool. All right, Dave. Yeah, I almost, I thought you were going to go somewhere else, Tony, with uh, Mayfair Games. I, I, I was tempted to go down that path with Blood of Heroes, but uh, I think I'll call it in nominate because it's a it's a different kind of a game than, than most of the RPGs out there. I haven't played it in a while, but very interesting kind of mechanics. So setting-wise, vaguely like, in a sense, kind of like the TV show Supernatural in that, you know, there's... There's things out there or, or X-Files or a lot of things where they're mixing the supernatural and, and the real world. In this case, it's literally angels and demons. 
Um, so you can take on the role of an angel or a demon, literally. Um, and it's got a, almost a feel like the Call of Cthulhu, where the more you know, the more dangerous it is, where you've kind of got this drawback to doing certain things. Um, they've got that baked into the system in that free will is paramount. And if you're going against free will, then your supernatural being character can take damage and it, it manifests as um, side effects, essentially, is probably the best way to put it. It's it's um, you, you're still who you are, but you now have maybe you're supposed to be an angel, but you now have a horns growing out of your head and people start to look at you a little funny. So when when you get gameplay going, it's it's less about the fact that you could stop a train. And it's more about you really should be trying to convince the person driving the train that, yeah, they really need to stop that train. It's not a good idea to drive this through that building over there. It would be a really bad thing. Lots of people would die and they'd feel guilty and all this versus I'm just going to stop the train because now you're not working with the free will. So it it changes the dynamic of how the play works and uh, you have you have powers but uh, depending on how you invoke those powers again you start taking the risk that oh well you're what you're doing yes you can do that but should you so it's got some interesting quirks to it the game system is a very lightweight game system it's been around for quite some time now um, i guess it was published in 97 gonna say i've heard of it. it's an old steve jackson title isn't it? it it apparently it is i didn't realize that i had to go pull up the wiki because it'd been a while since i can remember who, who actually published it but yeah and it was based on a, a french game so it draws heavily on Christian themes for angels and demons or devils. Yeah, that's actually one I've been another one I've been curious about for a while. So yeah, I I've read a little bit of it nominee back when I was into GURPS because it somehow ended up in my like oh here this is it's not GURPS but it's by Steve Jackson and I was like oh this might be cool that's a very cool game it, it really is yeah it it's. It's got a lot of interesting quirks where there's, um, you have sort of some built in, there's, there's like a, a double edged sword to a lot of the powers and stuff as well. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the fact that you can detect lies if you take one of the types of angels, but then you can't lie. So now you've got a character that you, you, you really want to convince somebody to do something and it requires you to just do a little lie, but you can't do that without, um, again, taking damage, psychic damage, if you will. So now you've got to like, uh, kind of like Jim Carrey's character in that one liar liar is like, how do I say this using only the truth <laughs> <laughs> and contorting things? And, you know, just, you just you have mental contortions you get into sometimes just to try like, I really want to do this thing, but I can't. So how do I still get there? But in a very roundabout path, because I really need to do this. So it, it, it does encourage some mental agility and, and some role play on that uh, to get that mental agility to kind of begin. Very cool. Yeah, that's yeah. like I said, I. In nominee is a cool game would make a fun double feature with playing like that and cult. <laughs> or you could do a double feature with that. And um, another Greg Stoltz game I just picked up uh, this week, uh, better angels. Not heard of that one. Yeah. That's another arc dream game um, where essentially you get superpowers because you're possessed by a demon, but whoever is sitting to your right gets to voice your inner demon. <laughs> <laughs> I want this. I'm buying that. Hold on. <laughs> that's a that's a Steve's having a, a party game. That's what that is. <laughs> if we ever play that, Tony, remind me to not let Kurt sit to my right. Yeah. <laughs> you know you love eating babies. No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see, I want to get my friends uh I, I'll get my friends together. We'll have a couple drinks and that sounds like a great time. <laughs> oh, know you will 
<laughs> that does sound fun. Oh, but wow. with all that being said, we want to thank you for coming on the podcast uh, and talking to us about Battlelords Seventh uh, Edition and and everything you guys got coming for that. Obviously, we did the plugs earlier. As always, links to everything can be found in the show notes, Discord, all the games we talked about, including Battlelords and any Kickstarters they got going on currently. And with that, we want to remind everyone to be kind to one another and get out there and play some RPGs. Take care, y'all. Thank you for having us. Thanks. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Intro and outro music by the band 12 Noon. You can email us at meandsteverpg at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter and RPGs. Find us on Facebook at Me and Steve RPG Podcast. On Discord at Me and Steve RPGs. And as always, all of these links are in the show notes. Thank you and be kind to one another. Cigar. Cigar, 20 bucks, dog. You got to go down the street to the store and buy that. You know, after the brought stopped, the, the sudden thought of, oh, I just realized the thing I could have mentioned that uh, might be another hook for people because it's kind of cool and fun. Um, so there's a couple of different angles in the book that we kind of worked in. We love throwing in little Easter eggs. Um, so we had two different types of Easter eggs. One theme is just pop culture references. So, you know, nods to things that we've enjoyed in the past, like, Hitchhiker's Guide, or Aliens the Movie, or uh, Monty Python, or Ren and Stimpy, or Tony, jump in. Simpsons, Goonies, a couple heavy metal band references in there. Yeah, there's there's a lot of pop culture references that are that are hidden throughout the book. And uh, actually, on our Discord, there's a there's a you know a group that's kind of trying to figure out how many there are, and they've they've been counting them up as they find new ones. Um, <laughs> Weirdly, the most obvious ones get missed. I, that freaks me out. I'm like, it's right there. How do you guys not see that Monty Python reference? We're not, we're not even hiding it. And nobody, nobody sees the, the really obvious ones. And I'm like, hey, this is a really good reference to blah, blah, blah. I was like, how'd you find that one? <laughs> and the, uh, the other thing we do in the book is there are four alien fonts that we use in the book. And they are simple character ciphers um, to English. So if you take the time to figure out what alien letter corresponds to what English letter, um, you can actually decode them. And they give you secret info about the background and the setting for the Battle Wars universe. Uh, so every time you see that, uh, and it's kind of like the alien font Futurama. If you, tr- if you translate what's in the book, you get hidden info. And we've gone so far as to have our artists use the font in some of the illustrations. So um, there's a picture of this ship, and it's covered with graffiti. Well, you, you can translate the graffiti, and it actually says things. Uh, so that <laughs> that's... Um, that's the other uh, you know, fun thing. If you're, if you're into those kind of puzzles, those are all hidden all throughout the book. Yeah, we hooked uh, one of the previous podcasts we were on. The, the first was like, oh, I've got to go get that now. <laughs> i got to go through there. See, these are the type of things that I don't like to know because then I feel compelled to go find them instead of do the other things that I want to do. <laughs> <sighs> on the other hand, I'm really bad at ciphers, so this is going to be fun for me. <laughs> you just go, here, Steve. Yeah, here, figure this out. Let me know what it says. All right, cool. Thanks. (laughs) Anything else you want to think of? (laughs) I have to wait until after we...
turn off the recording and then it'll go pop. Oh yeah. By the way, <laughs> well, at that point, at that point, we'll just have to have you back on for another episode. You could talk about all the things you forgot to mention on the last episode. That'll work. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise we'll ramble on forever. And the only thing I'm going to say is that for you guys to choose Battle Lords is cheating. Okay, that's, that's <laughs> fair. That's that should not be a problem. Uh, I mean, it, it would be pretty hypocritical of us to to, to go with Dungeons and Dragons or something like that. And say, well, other than Dungeons and Dragons, there's only Battle Lords. Um, <laughs> there's only uh, two games that exist, and that's it's Dungeons right. and Dragons and Battle Lords, and that's it. I, I literally have to buy another bookshelf for my basement because the other two are full of role-playing games. So it shouldn't be a problem. <laughs> Typically the Wednesday after the episode goes out. Yes. <laughs> if you guys came in today and were like, man, your Discord's quiet. Yeah, that's because it's a Tuesday. Our Discord like goes silent on Tuesdays while everybody listens to the episode and then berates us on Wednesdays. <laughs> <laughs> Except for Zero and Papa Pump. Well, yes. Zero. They message me while I'm on my way to work. <laughs> They're the only ones up that early. Unless it's me. I'm usually up that early. <laughs>